Welcome to Making America Strong Again, the only program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Join fellow patriots as we rediscover our past, reignite our future, and celebrate America now. Welcome to Making America Strong Again. This is your host, Steve Olds. It's a privilege to be with you today from our studios in South Florida. It's exciting for those of you that are joining us from uh, around the country and actually around the world. We're having people download our podcast at iTunes and at patriotpodcast.com where you can pick us up every week. And we're excited about bringing 2015 to a conclusion and preparing to launch 2016 in an amazing way. And I'm sure many of you at this time of year are starting to look back at all the great things that happened in 2015, maybe some of the things that you felt uh, that were a bit of a challenge and how you're going to begin to make things different in 2016. Certainly, there are a lot of things uh, on the table here in America when we look at the elections, when we look at our economy, all sorts of different things. But throughout the course of this year, we focused on a theme that we're going to finish the year strong on. And that theme has been about leadership. That theme has been about bringing people together that have leadership experience, that are passionate about growing their own personal leadership, that they're interested in being servant leaders in the community, and bringing leaders of all different flavors together that have different life experiences, different professional experiences, and different ideas about how they can contribute and serve not only in their families, in their communities, in their places of work, in their places of worship, and across the nation. How do we do that? How do we do it effectively? We've talked about a couple of ideas where we bring together Folks we call marketplace warriors, people that have been doing business in the marketplace, whether they're business owners or managers or employees, but they've been they've been working hard to get the job done, to make sure they could run a company and run an organization profitably that they could serve their clients. We've also talked about battlefield leaders, people that have done business in the world of service to our nation, those that are currently working in the armed services in the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, and the Coast Guard, protecting each one of us so that we have the capability to do business in the marketplace. So we've talked about leadership from a number of different perspectives. We've talked about how cool it is to bring marketplace and battlefield warriors together to fight for America, to fight for the future of America, to be part of making America strong again. That's what this program is all about. We celebrate what's great about America. We celebrate what's great about her leaders, both past and present. And today we're going to bring to life one of the conversations we've had with different folks that have had military service. They've had experience in the world of the military, and they're beginning a process of transitioning from the military to the civilian sector. And we've also found that there have been a number of challenges, challenges in communicating the experiences of our active duty military people who are beginning that transition into full-time civilian life. And conversely, the challenge with helping people in the civilian marketplace understand what it's like to be full-time and to have invested several decades of your life in military service. So today we have a special guest with us that is going to be able to paint a picture for us of what it's like to be wrapping up military service in a very high-octane world and then transitioning to a civilian sector. 
I would like to introduce you today to Colonel Robert Teschner, who is a retiring Air Force colonel. Rob, are you with us? I am, Steve. Can you hear me? We can hear you loud and clear. How about us? Wonderful. Loud and clear, my friend. We love it when technology comes together, don't we? That's right. It is a beautiful thing. So we'll get all the full disclosure stuff out of the way so you don't think that Rob and I just met uh, down at Starbucks this week. Uh, Rob and I actually met about six months ago on LinkedIn. Uh, I was looking for guys that were in military transition and might be interested in working with us at Patriot Mission. And as it turned out, Rob and I had some history together. We actually worked for the same organization that we'll talk about uh, during the course of this call. And one thing led to another, and and Rob has uh, has started working with Patriot Mission. So He's got a very interesting perspective, both from the outside looking in and from the inside looking out. But today we're going to focus on Rob's experience of what it was like being in the service. So, Rob, give us a little background. You, you, when did you decide to go into the military? Sure, Steve. Uh, I think, and it's, it's actually very appropriate that you ask that question in this fashion. It started back when I, uh, when I first saw Star Wars, and I was uh, inspired by Luke Skywalker and his desire to go to the Academy. And uh, that set me on a path. <clears throat> where I, I wanted to also go to the Air Force Academy, specifically because I wanted to go learn how to fly. So take it all the way back to my childhood when I was a young boy, I decided on this particular path. And I was fortunate enough, um, after initially being rejected, to uh, to be uh, accepted to the Air Force Academy and to start my military career back in 1991. 1991, what a great year to start your military career. It was a great year, and uh, and to that point, Steve, as as you were going off and um, and solving a, a a pretty major problem in the Middle East, uh, I was listening on the radio, and uh, I was trying to figure out how it would be that I could accelerate my my path so that I could come join you, because you were doing exactly what it is that uh, that I was envisioning doing for this country, and that is and that is using air power to assist us in our national defense. And uh, you were realizing the dream that I, at that point, was just now embarking on as a, as a young freshman going through basic training uh, in Colorado Springs, Colorado, during the summer of 1991. Well, it's an interesting experience when we think back. We're, we're coming up on the 25th anniversary of the kickoff of Desert Storm. And as a matter of fact, we're going to have a big old party here on the east coast of Florida Oh, call it uh, exactly thirty days from today, and we're gonna we're gonna celebrate that among other uh, other exciting anniversaries. But Rob, when you think about your time at the Air Force Academy, w- what kind of changes did you go through as a young guy that was passionate about flying jets or the idea of flying jets? Obviously, getting through the Air Force or any of the other service academies is not an easy road to hoe. What was it like getting through it? Well, I tell you, on a day to day basis. Steve, it was not fun. Uh, I think most of us that were uh, that were going through in that in that time frame realized that we were in it for the long haul. We were going through uh, the challenges there because the reward on the flip side of having a an outstanding degree um, and then the opportunity in many of our cases to go forth and and serve in the way that we wanted to specifically the opportunity to fly uh, was worth it all. But you know, on a day to day basis. Uh, the way that life was run, the strictness, the routines, uh, the training that we went through—you know—it was less than it was less than awesome. We'll put it that way. <laughs> but, the best, but, but the thing that was so nice about it, and the reason why you know the friendships that I have are enduring, is because the people that were going through it with you—they were all part of a of a huge team. And that, and those bonds that were established, you know, now a quarter of a century ago, they remain strong. And the, the people that I'm closest to in this uh, in this world outside of my family are 
the people that I went through basic training with and the people that I, I you know, suffered through our freshman year at the academy with. And these are the people that, to, the, to, the, to my last day here on Earth, I'll, I'll be brothers and sisters with. Um, because it's, it's, that, it's that interrelationship, it's that support, that mutual support that begins at an early age there that carries you through those tough times. And that would, that would resonate all the way through my career. For the next 20 years of commission service, you know, those, those trademarks were what made serving in the military in the armed forces of these United States uh, such a wonderful experience and something that I will treasure forever. Well, Rob, you bring up an important point because that mutual support is something that a lot of folks that have never been part of the military environment are not real familiar with. There's some serious challenges in, in the marketplace at large. You hear a lot about competition, and, and obviously we have a lot of friendly competition between the different services. But at the end of the day, when it's time for us to, to merge our efforts and focus on a target and focus on the people that intend us harm – there's amazing synergy that comes together and a passion and a focus uh, to go do battle for the right reasons at the right time with people who are ready to go. And that's got to be a powerful experience, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, Steve, you know, there's an important, there's an important distinction to make here uh, between marketplace competition that, you know, that many people understand and the competition that exists in a military organization. I mean, at the end of the day, Everybody in that organization wants the other people to be as strong as they can possibly be. Now, you know, realistically speaking, every, everyone's trying to chart out their career, do a good job so that they can progress and move forward. Um, but, but recognize that, you know, even within those, those kinds of structures, I know that if the person that I'm working with is doing the absolute best that he or she can and is, is actually doing, doing that job better than I am, the nation's stronger as a result of that. And so I'm going to support that. And that whole notion of mutual support means no matter what, I've got your back, you've got my back. And we recognize that we strengthen each other by holding each other to the highest possible standards to hold each other accountable to maintain the values that we, what we espouse and that the, that the organization that our nation espouses. And that, therein lies our strength. And that's the piece that I think compels most folks to stay in, uh, in their service uh, for the time frame that they do, because that's, that's a trait that's very unique um, in many cases to the military. And, and that's what I found to be very, very special about my time in uniform. Well, there's a cool opportunity to translate that experience in the civilian marketplace because there is a strong mutual respect for those that have served, and at the same time, those that have served come into the marketplace with a significant respect for those who have invested decades of their life building a company and working in the private sector and putting those pieces together. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about that, but we're also we're going to start when we get back from the break, because I wish we had six or eight hours to talk on the show, but we, we do have to talk about some of the important parts of, uh, of the military, namely flying jets, because that's cool. And I like to talk about it. <laughs> you like to talk about it. And we're also going to cover uh, what it's like to command men and women in a uh, in a fighter squadron, which you've had the privilege of doing. And, and uh, we want to hear a little bit about that. And also we're going to talk about how we're going to solve the world's problems as we're focused on making America strong again. So we will be right back. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, 
Get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com. This is Steve Schwartz with pdgo.com. We've been in business for over 15 years and have created over 1,000 websites for clients across the USA and across the world. We help our clients have a custom, affordable website, and we teach them personally how they can very easily update the information on their websites themselves anytime they want to without being a techie. Take a look at pdgo.com and see samples of our work and testimonials that clients have said about our service. pdgo.com. Again, pdgo.com. At SurfPro of Vero Beach, no job is too big and no question is too small. So when fire, water, or mold damage strikes your home or business, call on SurfPro of Vero Beach at 772-770-0501. That's where you'll find a team of specialists that's faster to any size disaster. So when the things that matter most are on the line, make sure SurfPro of Vero Beach is too by calling 772-770-0501. That's SurfPro of Vero Beach, helping make fire, water, and mold damage like it never, ever happened. Franchises are independently owned and operated. Hi, this is Kelly Fisher, a supporter of the Making America Strong Again mission and your local real estate professional here on the Treasure Coast. It has been my honor to serve our community here in Vero Beach since 2003. And with over 1,500 home sales over the past 21 years, it's my hope that you will consider the Kelly Fisher team at Treasure Coast Sotheby's International Realty for all your real estate needs. It's also our desire that every family has a home and every home has a family. And we have partnered with the Homeless Family Center of Vero Beach to work toward that goal. When you buy or sell a home with the Kelly Fisher team, we will make a substantial contribution toward alleviating homelessness in our hometown. To be a part of this great mission, please call us at 772-321-6905. Welcome back to Making America Strong Again, the program dedicated to inspire you and to inspire a nation with stories of American exceptionalism and national restoration. Once again, here's your host, Steve Olds. Welcome back. Thanks for being with us today. Again, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Colonel Robert Teschner, who is a retiring Air Force colonel who spent his first uh, first couple of decades of his professional career serving the United States Air Force as a, as a fighter pilot as well as a uh, commander of fighter pilots. And one of the things that Rob mentioned before the break was that he was inspired to go to the Air Force Academy when Star Wars came out in 1991, or or during the uh, when was that, Rob? You you went in in 91, is that right? That's right. That's right. Because Star Wars came out just a few semesters before that, as I recall. That's why my brain went sure into did. a tizzy. And the reason I was thinking about that is that I graduated from college the weekend Top Gun came out, so I was feeling mm. pretty good about myself, having a grand old time, and never imagined that we would actually go to flight school. I would uh, be blessed to fly the F-15, and that suddenly we would find out why it is that we have guys in our squadron called weapons officers who are designed to teach you the tactics and the knowledge of that airplane and how to employ it in an amazing ways. And, and folks, uh, Rob will be very uh, humbled and won't tell you a lot of things about his background, but one of the things I will tell you is he was an expert at the weapon system. Rob was an instructor at the Fighter Weapons School. He taught the Top Gun guys how to fly those jets to the edge of the envelope, both in the F-15 and obviously then on in the F-22. So, Rob, we have a lot to talk about in the next 10 minutes. So tell us 
what it was like, what was the best part about flying the Eagle Jet and the F-22? Steve, there were so many good parts about flying both of those airplanes. It's hard to it's hard to find that that one. I, it comes back down to it was the realization of a childhood dream, and when you when you strap yourself into this rocket ship that that launches forth and slips the the, the bonds of Earth to get you closer to God, and you're, you're working in a network, a whole team of people that's designed to protect the nation. Uh, you can't help but be inspired. And, oh, by the way, what an adrenaline rush. You know, the F-15 was unassembled <laughs> here in St. Louis, Missouri, which is where I'm calling from, which is my home, which is where my heart is. <clears throat> and and knowing that, that back in 1973 when that airplane was, was produced and introduced, it was the cutting-edge airplane, and it stayed at the forefront of our fighter power throughout the decades since and then getting a chance to fly it was, uh, was such a dream, you know, and I started off at uh, Tyndall Air Force Base learning how to fly that airplane for about six months <clears throat> and then stayed in Florida in the panhandle there and got a chance to fly it around the world. So, so the realization of that boy the dream was probably the most consistent, awesome feature of flying the airplane, in addition to the fact that you've got more horsepower than the entire starting lineup at the Indianapolis 500 coming out the back end of that machine. <laughs> and, 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 and that, you know, if, if you can't get excited about going to work and doing that every day, something is seriously wrong. And now you take it, you take it to the next level, Steve, and you, and you look at the F-22. Here it is. You know, we're talking fifth generation, the latest, most high-tech, high-performance weapon system that our Air Force owns, with even more horsepower coming out the back end, by the way. And... Uh, and then a synergy of technologies, you know, built in every state in this country, put together and uh, and launched forward. You know that you're just privileged to be able to do what you're doing. And then to throw into that mix the opportunity to command a squadron and to be in charge of, of you know of other people's sons and daughters and to be making the decisions that will affect them in their lives. That was the highest highest honor that I could have. And one that I enjoyed for uh, for almost two years out in Alamogordo, New Mexico, uh, and and I'll carry that with me for the rest of my days as well. So you had the opportunity to be a fighter weapons school graduate, to command a fighter squadron, to prepare men and women to go into battle, to to become a mission commander, and to be part of multi-unit organizations that were tasked to defend America and to protect her. And as you began to wind down your career, you started looking from the inside of the service outward. What did you see in your transition? What are the things that stuck out of, to you as you began to, to move towards the civilian sector? Well, Steve, as I was sitting in my transition class, which is something that um, is congressionally mandated, and it's a good program, it's a week-long program that every uh, retiring or separating serviceman or woman uh, has to go through, I realized that this is a daunting experience I'd say probably for everybody, for, for sure, for the younger members of the team that are looking at, at giving up the security of what, the, of what serving in the armed forces provides, you know, because in government service there are nice things. There's a steady paycheck for one. There's health care. Um, there's lower taxes. There's, there's housing. There's uniforms, you know. So, so much of the, of the day-to-day features are taken care of for you. Um, you know, for which you, you basically sign on the line that you're willing to, to go ahead and, and, and pay the ultimate price to, to realize. Now when you're 
making that transition out of the service, you recognize that a lot of those features go away. You know, so now the question is, you know, where do I, where do I take care of my health care needs? You know, oh, so I'm going to potentially earn more money in day-to-day income, but my taxes are going to go higher, so I'm actually going to have less take-home pay. That's a tough one. Um, how about, you know, a wardrobe? I've got to buy a bunch of suits now. You know, goodness. Um, where do I buy my groceries? How come those, those costs are, are higher than they are in the commissary? What's the chain of command? Who do I who do I report to here? Can I can I still go in and talk to talk to the CEO like I did my commander? You know, what's my support structure? Where's my team? I've been built. I've been brought up in this environment where the team was everything to me. You know, and not all organizations on the outside have that same structure. Status. I've spent an entire career building up my status, my my brand, my reputation, and now you walk out and. Uh, and suddenly that, that may not matter anymore, or it matters but to, a, to, a, to a lesser extent. And so you've got to redefine yourself. And all of those, all of those, all those combined create an uncertainty and probably you know, cause a lot of trepidation with, with, with good men and women that are transitioning out of the military into, uh, into the next phase of life. So if you were to sit down with somebody that was preparing to transition, what kind of counsel would you give them? Well, first of all, I'd say you know this is this is best addressed through prayer, right? Um, that is my personal viewpoint on this. And the next thing is is to take this in bite-sized chunks and realize that you're you're following a path that so many have gone uh, before you and and done well at. So fear not is the bottom line. You're going to get there from here. Pay attention in those transition classes. Take copious notes in those transition classes. Go through the transition class a second time, maybe a third time, so that whatever it was that you missed the first time around, you get the second and third time. Focus on your interview skills. You know, one thing that I'd say is really good about our armed forces is that we, we train people to, be, to believe in themselves and to trust that they can do whatever it is that they need to do. There are different skill sets that apply outside of the military that you need to learn during the transition process, or at least no later than during the transition process. You know, earlier is probably better, but really focus on how it is that you do an interview for a civilian job before you go forth and try it for the first time, you know, so that you're not doing on-the-job training. Probably the most important thing that you're going to do um, as you try to find new employment. So at the end of the day, when people begin to really look internally, we've talked a lot about over the last number of months the value proposition that veterans bring to the table in their leadership skills and elements that they don't even realize they have when compared to the civilian market. How do you see that in the last uh, minute or so? Yeah, there's, there is no doubt, Steve, that, that in our core of veterans, transitioning heroes that are coming out of the service and, and are looking to find a new lifestyle, a new, a new you know, job to fuel them and their families, um, there is a whole network of leaders that is coming out and eager to perform, and they're going to perform, you know, at incredible levels. I mean, these are self-motivated people that are going to work to get the job done, regardless of you know how long it takes, how much effort needs to go into it, and um, and they're so focused on achieving the objectives that they're going to give it their all all the time. And so that's something that employers need to be aware of. Um, and and there's a talent pool out there that employers should be looking at. Uh, because those veterans bring so much to an organization, uh, and you, you'd hate to miss out on that uh, by not looking in the right places. 
Well, I want to thank Colonel Robert Teschner for being with us on the Making America Strong Again program today. It's been great to have you here, Rob, and uh, excited about working with you in lots of different ways to bring veterans together to explore leadership and to and to show America what it's like when we bring battlefield and marketplace warriors together. So thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure as always. Always enjoy working with you. Thanks for all that you do and in our efforts to make America strong again. That's awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up today with uh, with an image of what it's like to go in full afterburner, completely vertical off the runway. Think about that until next week. Making America Strong Again is brought to you by Patriot Mission. To learn more about national restoration, get free resources at www.makingamericastrongagain.com.